We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in media, business, and tech. And we're lucky today we've got Cavell Khan, who's joining us, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Tumblr. Let's jump in and get to know Cavell. Cavell, welcome. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. Thanks for having me, Carell. And excited to be here. Excited to be here. This is great. Yeah, likewise. For those who don't know you, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing for work and, and what's going on over at Tumblr these days. Yeah, so I, I've been at Tumblr for probably, you know, a little over 45 days, joined the company. You know, Tumblr has gone through a number of different ownerships. And, and last year, they were acquired by Automatic, the company that owns WordPress and WooCommerce and a number of other properties. And it was a perfect fit for Tumblr. So the last year, they've spent really understanding the technical side and moving off the Verizon stack, moving onto the automatic stack. And now moving into 2020 and 2021, it's all about how does the company get back into advertising from a direct sales standpoint. So even though it has not been in direct sales, we were doing pretty well from a programmatic standpoint as part of Verizon. And we continue to be a, an available source of demand uh, or audience for a lot of programmatic advertisers, but now we really want to get out there and, and, and bring our creativity back into the marketplace, not the way they remember Tumblr was. Some of that asset and value is still there, but what Tumblr will be looking forward, having all the capability of WordPress and WooCommerce and everything that sits under the automatic umbrella. So it's an exciting time. I'm building a team. I'm hiring. You know, I'm, I'm trying to understand where we are, what we need to grow. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. But I feel strongly after being in the industry for 15 years that, you know, we have, we have a space and we have a space for a very particular set of advertisers. It's not for everyone. We're not trying to be all things to all advertisers and solve all their challenges. But, you know, from being in the industry and hearing from brands, I know there's definitely a few things that we can we can do for them. So excited to be at the company, excited to be a part of the team and, and looking forward to the journey. That's awesome. I'd love to, to keep talking uh, and we'll, we will uh, a little bit about your career path. You've got tremendous experience at, in tech and in media and publishing. And, and so definitely want to connect back on that again. But tell us a little bit about where you were born and where you were raised and, and, and take us into to, to that for a minute. Yeah, if the if the audience could see it, my my Zoom background here is a is a wonderful picture from Jamaica, from not too far where I, in Montego Bay, where I'm from. So I I was born and raised in Jamaica. Came here when I was in high school. Grew up in Long Island in Central Islip. Shout out to Central Islip. Uh, yeah. And and as I tell people, I'm I'm a you know I'm a product of the state. I went to public schools for high school. I went to you know state university of Albany for undergrad. After undergrad, kind of spent my time, you know, really just trying to figure out what it is what I wanted to do, tried a few things, entrepreneurial, and then went to grad school at Baruch Zicklin School. And, and that's what led me into the industry. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm a Jamaican guy. I grew up in Jamaica. I love my dancehall music. I love my you know, I'm vegetarian now, so no, no more jerk chicken or curry goat for me. But I lo- loved all of that coming up. Now I'm jerking the Impossible Burger. You know, it's pretty good. Oh, like nice. that's, that's, that's my that's my new jerk jerk chicken. Uh, it's great. I love it. It's a bit about me. I'm in Brooklyn now. I've I've been in Brooklyn for a long time. Here with my wife and my, I have an older son at ten and a and a newborn newborn of two months. So congrats. It's been a hell of a time. I've got. Like, 
I sure know how to time it, man. COVID, new, <laughs> yeah. new CRO job, and new baby. I'm just like, okay. But isn't, isn't, that, uh, isn't that just real life, man? That's life. That's oh, life. You just got to roll with it. You just got to roll with it. That's amazing. Take us back and, and help us understand how, you know, that kind of shaped your identity, you know, your, your background and your culture. Like, how, how did that sort of form you into who you are today? Yeah, you know, I, I think we all draw from our circumstances that we have. And, you know, there's 7 billion stories on earth. Mine was growing up in a country that is, you know, quote unquote, the third world country or developing or whatever terms you want to apply to it. But Jamaica was great, man. It, it instilled a certain amount of rigor and hard work and levity in me because it's, it's, it's this amazing country. I think about it all the time. You have this tiny island, such a tiny island, but anywhere in the world you go, people can name at least three things about Jamaica. They're going to tell you about Bob Marley, they're going to tell you about Usain Bolt, and they're going to tell you about some jerk chicken or some baddies, like you no matter where you go. So that incredible environment, that magic that is a part of the Jamaican culture, it's infectious and it spreads everywhere. And Whatever that gave to me, I, I, I owe a lot of my success to that. And, and my parents, obviously, are a big part of that. Obviously, they're Jamaican. And just instilling hard work, you know, not, it's not about sort of where you are. It's where you want to be and, and that you can push through. And you're going to get knocked down, but, you know, continue to get back up and continue to go. You know, the high school I went to in Jamaica, Cornwall College in Montego Bay, the motto of the school is learn or leave. So if that oh, if that tells you <laughs> that tells you anything about kind of the mindset that I had to develop to be successful, it's like learn or leave. They're not playing no games. Like that's what it is. Zero games. Yeah, zero games, zero games man. Zero games. So that all grew up in me and had a, an amazing sort of extended family. And I, I have a really big family, and they all supported me throughout. And so it, I really owe a lot of that to. That perspective, that understanding of a different culture, understanding that, you know, sometimes things feel so bad in our world and the work that we do, we all feel it. We're up late at night. We're like, what's going on? And it helps me to reflect back and know that, you know, unfortunately, it's not the best way to look at it. But, you know, I know that it's this isn't the worst it can get. I'm still one of the lucky ones. No matter what yeah. happens, I am still one of the lucky ones relative to where others are in this world. And so I try to use that to keep me grounded. I try to use that to make sure I remind myself that I've been through, uh, I've been through the worst in a lot of ways, you know, to, to be where I am today. And so that, that has really shaped me and, and also reminds me that, you know, don't just, and I'm a steal from ad color, don't just rise up, you know, you got to reach back because there's so many people that open doors to get me where I am today. Mm. Uh, and I, I have to do the same. So it really had a lot to do with it. And, and even growing up in Long Island and seeing different things and experiencing a different culture and recognizing that, you know, things were going to be different. It's a different culture. There's things like race and other things that I started to learn about. I didn't, I didn't really know I was black in the sense of like the differences of it, you know, until I was in America for a little while, because I, I grew up in a country where everything is black for the most part, right? There's a vast majority. Like I wasn't looking up at, you know, leadership that wasn't black. I was looking at black leadership. I was looking at black business leaders. My, my father was a small business owner. You know, my mom was a teacher. So I didn't see limits when I was in Jamaica. It was like, you can go be what you want to be, even though it's really, really hard in that type of economy. So when yeah. I came here, that was the one piece that stuck with me that, I'm grateful for because I had that experience to not 
you know, I didn't just grow up and was born in racism the way, unfortunately, a lot of people in, in the United States are. So that was a big part of shaping me also. Yeah. I want to sort of talk about your career path too. You know, uh, tremendous experience, you know, Microsoft, mm-hmm. Twitter, Vice, and we'll talk about Tumblr in a second. Yeah. You know, t- tell us how you sort of got started down, you know, your career path. Yeah. So we have time. So I'll give you the long story. You know, when I graduated undergrad, I had a communication degrees. I thought I was going to be a big, you know, TV producer. I had done some internships in TV and I tried my hand at developing my own TV show. And, you know, I pursued that for a while, didn't, didn't quite work out. And then the economy was pretty bad when I graduated in 01. It was the, you know, I don't know if you all remember this, but when, you know, the dot-com crashed and then you added 9-11 on top of that, it was a really tough time. And so the first job I actually had coming out of college, believe it or not, this was the job I could get was a, a security guard. I refused to sit at home at my parents' house and not do anything. And I, I had to work. And so the first job I took was just a, a security job. That was what was available. I was applying, 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 not getting through with anything, and I couldn't sit at home. The second job I had was working in the stock room of a, of a factory out in Long Island, just like, not even like in the main part of the assembly, like in the stock room, just counting parts. Like mm-hmm. I did that, you know, because I, I yeah. refused to sit on my butt. And every time when I wasn't working, I was you know, at the library or whatever, on the computer, applying, trying to get a job as a production assistant or whatever it was. And, and it, was a, it was a tough time. It was, a, it was a really difficult time. The third job I got, you know, and I thought I came up, you know, I got to work for uh, a subsidiary. Uh, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was a subsidiary of Transamerica. So got into finance, you know, and was making, you know, a whopping 24000 a year. And I thought, like, this was it, especially after last those two jobs. But always knew that I wanted to do more. So during the time between when I was, you know, doing the work in the stock room in the factory to when I got the job in finance, I decided I wanted to go back to school to up my skill level since nothing was really working out. And so that's how I got into Baruch. And I remember writing in my essay, and I have no idea if this had anything to do with me getting accepted, but I basically said in my essay that you know, if you all don't let me into the school, you're basically sentencing my life to nothingness, you know, and those weren't the exact words, but that was the the meaning of it because I knew I needed another shot and I needed to reset and get more, more knowledge to achieve bigger goals that I wanted to achieve. Fast forward, getting to the industry, I'm in grad school. I, I, you know, I decided to take, uh, I think at the time they were calling it like e-business, but it was basically a, a, a digital marketing class. And my professor, she was an adjunct professor at the time, Amy Arabak. I will always be grateful to her. She was one of the founding board members of 212 Mm -hmm. NYC, which is the, you know, digital ad club in New York. And in 05, she brought me to, I want to say it was probably their first career fair that they had. And I had just finished reading the May issue of Fortune that had Bill Gates on the cover and it said, why Bill Gates is scared of Google. And the whole article was basically about the fact that Microsoft was about to launch their own search platform to to take on Google. It was MSN Search, it's now known as Bing. So I was really interested in that. And so timing couldn't have been better. This was God's blessings and the stars aligning and everything. Happened to be at that 
recruiting event was Microsoft. And a gentleman who I, I'll be forever grateful to named David Gerbitz, who many of you know, he was at Pandora last as a, their chief operating officer. He was at the event, I had the opportunity to talk to him, and he sort of put my resume high enough on the pile that I got a call back and had the opportunity to, to interview for Microsoft. And that's really the story. I'll tell you something funny. I didn't even know the job that I interviewed for when I interviewed for Microsoft. Like I legit, all I knew was that they were going to build a search engine, that it, it sounded really exciting. This was Microsoft. I had studied search, you know, in, in Amy's class. So I knew a little bit about it. But when the job said, you know, search media strategist, I had, I didn't know what that was. Like I read the job. I was like, I don't care. I, I just want to be here. So it's almost, I was so naive that it actually helped me because, you know, they hired me and I've said this in in other places, they hired me off of transferable skill set, off of drive, off of seeing that, you know, what my journey was to that point that I had uh, drive, I had rigor, I knew how to deal with ambiguity. And that's what allowed me to get into the industry. So amazing people and just good timing allowed me to get into the industry as a search media strategist at, at Microsoft back in 2005. So that's that's my story. That's how I got in. That's awesome. And, and I think for those that are listening, right, I think part of the story, Cavell, that you're sharing there is like, sometimes you just got to get your foot in the door. Yeah. Just, yeah. just get in the door and then figure it out from there. Because that can be the hardest part sometimes. It is. And, and it once, you're, is. once you're in, then sort of try to figure it out. Absolutely. What a door did I get in? I yeah. mean, it made the difference. But yeah, you're wow. absolutely right. Yeah. One yeah. final thought there on that uh, story was amazing for me to hear her name because I, I remember we've been in the space probably about the same amount of time. And I used to call on her as an early seller. Is that Euro RSCG, which I'm dating myself and even immediate contacts. And it just, yeah, it's amazing yeah. taking it back to then because you talked about direct sales and the one to one dialogue was just different. You know, then it was less sort of middle and, and, uh, and so yeah. shouts to Amy. Shout out to there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Look at that. out here changing lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another lesson too, just how small our industry is. There's only really, you know, just a couple degrees of separation between everyone in our space. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Well, Caval, first, uh, again, congrats on the new role at Tumblr and, what a time to, to start a new job, right? During a, a pandemic and, and also having a baby. And can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, how was that transition during our, you know, this, this sort of current climate? It was interesting, you know, because, you know, I had all these things happening at one time. And as I was exiting a really great role that I'll, I'm forever grateful for at, at Vice, you know, I, I, I had the baby April 30th. So I had a month off and, and everything kind of happened during that time. I still want, obviously, you know, family's number one and, and I refuse to, you know, not spend some time with my newborn. So, you know, I, I took a month to make sure I was staying home, completely checked out. And so when I came back, I was, I was missing the beat because I genuinely didn't check in. I genuinely didn't read an ad age article or, or an ad week article. Mm. So I came back and, you know, obviously going out, I knew COVID was happening to assess where we were and what the landscape was. And look, there's a saying, never waste a good crisis, right? And so the fortunate thing for me and part of the reason why I, I came to Tumblr is that, 
you know, in speaking with the leadership team at Tumblr and speaking with Jeff D'Onofrio, who's our CEO, and Matt Mullenweg, the founder and CEO of Automatic and WordPress, you know, they were realistic about the challenge ahead. And, you know, it's part of the creed of Automatic that, you know, it's not a sprint and it's a marathon. And so mm-hmm. Matt was was very clear that he understands how difficult the time is and he understands that there's challenge and they were realistic in the expectations. If they had said to me, listen, we need you to deliver a billion dollars by the end of the year. I'd be like, I am not the person I am not. Someone may be able to do that, but it's not me. <laughs> they asked me to come in to be very client focused, to think about the industry, to find what is missing and marketers have need and marketers will always have, always have need. If what existed today solved all the problems, no one would build another platform. No one right. would build another programmatic solution. No one would build anything. So the reality is we're constantly changing because, you know, we're changing as people. The audience is changing. The, the yeah. needs are changing. How we consume media is changing. And so to me, this is the right time to build it. Given that we have a bit of room, I'm fortunate to have a, a bit of runway. This is the perfect time to build it because the way I, I look at it is if I can find the ways to be successful and success for me means I am delivering for our marketers, for our agencies against one of their either number one or number two business priorities. Mm-hmm. If I can deliver that and if we as Tumblr can deliver that uh, as a team, then when things get better, my expectation would be it's only going to go up. Yeah. So building in tough time challenges you. It's hard. I definitely have, you know, stay up late working weekends to try to fast track because I don't have forever, even though I have a bit of runway. Yeah. But, you know, it allows me to navigate certain conversations. And, and what's happening now that I love is, you know, I'm thinking about even the conversations I've had this week and folks saying to me, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a tough time. And we're looking to cut. We're not looking to, to to grow our partners. We're looking to cut partners. So if if you're going to come on board with Tumblr, you're going to get the call, Cavell. You're gonna people are going to listen because you haven't been in the marketplace. You know, people know a bit about sort of WordPress and automatic, and they re- recognize that that's an opportunity for a number of reasons. And so we just have to partner with them to deliver. And the whole goal here is to, again, deliver against a number one or number two business metric mm-hmm. that makes sense that we know we can deliver. But also, I'm building. Right. Where a lot of people right now are protecting revenue, I'm mm-hmm. building revenue, mm-hmm. and I'm building product. And I need to stop saying I because it's the entire team. Yes. <laughs> Not myself. We are building. We are navigating what we need to do. And so... I want partners to be a part of that. I want brands to be a part of that. I'm looking and we're looking for brands to say, hey, you know, we're not quite finding what we need as it relates to, I don't know, an interesting creative solution for for video or, you know, how we think about connecting with a specific audience in a different way or, or what is an innovative approach here or there. And we can sit and say, well, let's think about that together. Let's workshop it and let's, let's go build it. And, and look, I know not every marketer is in that space. Right. But those are the ones who we want to work with because they also want to punch above their weight class and they don't want to just be spending their way to profitability. They want to find a way to, to be innovative and to deliver and increase their ROI. And, and I'm, I'm excited about our opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things you said there that I think is super important, which I try to have this mindset as a marketer myself, right, is, is that 
if you are fortunate enough to be able to be building right now and to be aggressive, if you can come out of this sort of pandemic and this current climate in a good spot, you know, your company, your organization is going to be better off for it than when, than when we went into it. And I think right. that's, that's super important as well, yeah. too. Yeah. 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 I think the last time we saw each other was earlier in the year and we were at a conference and I'll, I'll leave the, the conference out so no one gets upset <laughs> at us. But I, I think what was interesting about that conference that we saw each other at is with all the talk of diversity and inclusion in our space, right? There wasn't many people at the conference that looked like us. There wasn't no. many women at the conference either no. or other diverse backgrounds. and. I'm just curious to to get your thoughts on sort of the state of the industry when it comes to DNI and and maybe a, a, an opinion or two on what can be due to sort of improve the current state as well too. Yeah, so you know this is something that has been a passion point of mine ever since I I started in the industry. I, I luckily and weirdly enough, when I started at Microsoft, I was part of an incredibly diverse team by every single measure that you would use the word diversity. And so from there, I recognize that it's not always that way. And as I move to other companies who have been amazing to me and I've met amazing allies and they've helped me grow in my career, the reality is those companies weren't as diverse as they could be because of you know, systemic ways that we operate. I sit and think about this sometimes and, and I think about how we operate as an industry. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I see how that thinking can have an impact on DNI. As an industry, we tend to, you know, try to find the easiest path to getting to the solution. And there's nothing wrong with that. We want to get there. We want to deliver because time is money and we have big goals that we need to deliver. And there's constant change, there's constant challenge. So it, it makes a lot of sense. But that reflects that attitude and that way of thinking reflects in hiring, it reflects in promoting, it reflects in a lot of things. We also, as an industry, have a mindset of like being overly dependent on what we know today. Mm. And so we buy from who we know. We think the only solutions are the ones that we know. And, and that's why, you know, I've worked for challenger companies. It's, it's that much harder to break in. Even if you had the better mousetrap, it's sometimes really hard to get in because people are just like, I know this, I'm doing this, this is part of my rhythm and I know it works. And so they want to continue to do with that. And maybe that's part of human nature. The way I see that translating into DNI is people also are hiring, promoting and giving opportunity to what they know on the creative and advertising side. You know, you're seeing ads and, and the content and creative and the stories being told being reflective of what people know. And so I think we have to really analyze and check our thinking. Yes, that may work in some ways in what we need to deliver from a business standpoint, but as it relates to the industry, we have to do better. Everything I will say to you, everyone should already know. Mm-hmm. It is no longer a nice to do. It is, you must do it. The demographics globally, the demographics in the United States are changing. If you look at the purchasing power of any groups, and if you're just looking at racial breakdown as one level, you could look at gender as another, you could look at LGBTQI as another, any breakdown you want. You know, you're talking about trillions of dollars in spending power that's happening. 
And if the brands today and the big top brands who drive a lot of the spending are not responding to those audiences authentically, what's going to happen? And you and I know this. We've been relatively successful in our careers. I am watching where I spend my dollars and I'm not spending my dollars with you if you're not reflecting me. I'm not coming along for the ride anymore for brands who think that I am general market. A general market to me is just like, I understand where it comes from and I don't mean to, you know, say anything bad, but it's a bit of a lazy, lazy way of approaching things. You think you could just capture everyone with one way of going about it. And the reality is people are purpose driven. People are now buying based on, do you share my values? Mm. Do I see myself in what you're presenting as a brand and as a product? And so if brands aren't adapting and moving with that, you're going to see what's happening right now happen at a greater scale, which is we're just going to make it ourselves. We're going to take our dollars and we're going to start becoming angel investors and we're going to invest in small business and we're going to leverage all our capability as marketers from every and we're going to educate and we're going to advise smaller companies so they can build for us as a demographic because frankly we're frustrated that the organizations that exist and the products they're offering aren't being reflective of us by the way we should be doing that anyway right we should uh, we should be doing that anyway and it, it kind of goes back to one of the points you made uh, in the in the opening right you grew up in a country where you looked up and you saw people that look like you that own businesses, people that look like you that were leaders, people that look like you that were in politics, right? And I think that's why we need to be doing that anyway, because we need to, for the next generation, have more and more people in positions that look like us. So that way they they can see that, yes, they can do it as well too. I 100% agree. And and I just just think it's an imperative. And I think our industry is probably one of the most influential. The things we do in this marketing, advertising, entertainment, tech world influences more of the world than, you know, probably only sort of leaders and politicians and maybe a few other things. But like, we are incredibly impactful on culture. We're incredibly impactful on what people buy, the decisions they make, how they feel about themselves. So let's use that to reflect the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of work to be done. And there's people who are much more eloquent and smarter than me who are putting out really strong proposals and basically saying, here's your playbook. Here's your, here's your map. And if you want to survive, you, you need to do this. And it's just for those leaders at the top. And I particularly think that the greatest part of the power sits with brands. Brands control the purses, mm. not agencies. It's not publishers. It's not tech companies. We all are beholden to where the dollars are coming from. That you know, estimated three hundred and sixty billion plus in advertising is coming from brands, and brands can say, "We care about this. We need to grow. We have to grow across all consumers. So you need to give us the things that allow us to grow across all consumers, and you know, you need to have that diversity at all levels within." the entire ecosystem. I know there's always a big call for agencies, but where I've sat in the marketplace, being working at tech companies, as you mentioned, Microsoft, Twitter, and on the tech side now at Tumblr, but also at Vice Media, you know, I've been in sales. I've been in revenue organizations. I can tell you, and I've said this many times, you know, I've either been the first or the only, or maybe, you know, after I've been there for a while, one of a few people of color or just, you know, frankly, 
you know, someone who is a, a underrepresented minority in that role. I'm going to talk I, about that for a second. Yeah, you know? yeah, we can go into no, it. No, I mean, because that's a, that's a really good point, Pavel. And, you know, you've got great experience across a number of uh, really great companies. And I, I can't imagine that somewhere along the way you haven't faced, you know, some sort of issue, whether direct or indirect, where you, you face discrimination at some point. I'm curious about, you know, how you handle, you know, those situations and how you could advise others when they encounter that. Yeah, look, uh, yes, I have faced certain commentary. I have faced situations where I was second guessed. You know, you look out through this lens and you see, you know, situation A happened to you and situation A happened to someone else. And you see the difference in how each situation is dealt with. And you have to ask, like, when these three people did this, here was what happened. But when I did it, it was a different you know, it was looked at differently. And so mm-hmm. discrimination does happen, you know, over time, as you get more senior, as you get more established, you you have more ability and agency to call it out, to speak out. If you're young in this industry, you don't want to risk it, right? Like for some of us, for not, not some, for many of us, you know, we are, you know, the first in our families to reach the types of levels that we're achieving. And so you go home and you're like, am I going to rock the boat and then tell my mom or my dad or whoever that I made something someone said to me or something, you know, someone did to me that was related to, you know, my race or, you know, whatever it may be for each person. It's not just race that gets discriminated against Mm -hmm. that, that made me lose my cool and I I lost my job. Like you don't want to go back and and tell the fam that because the family's proud of you, right? That you're doing all these great things. And so for me, earlier in my career, I kind of ate it and I'm not recommending that that's what we do. And I'm glad we're in a time that people don't have to do that anymore. But that, that was the reality of my time. That's what I had to do. But as I continued, I had enough agency to call it out, to confront it and to speak up about it. And I think it's, it's what's made a difference. Now, as much as I've faced that, I, I also, what I've faced, and I, I'll be remiss if I don't state this, I've also had amazing, amazing allies in every single company that I've worked for. And so I kind of look at it as like, if I'm the poster child for anything, I'm the poster child for how everyone who is talented and working their ass off and delivering results, because that's the baseline, no matter what you look like or what demographic you fit. If you're doing those things, I wish everyone else had the same kind of support and allyship that I've had from so many of my leaders and my organizations that I've worked with, because that was, that's what's responsible for me being able to move in my career the way I have. The way I have. So it's yeah. tough. It does happen. I encourage people to continue to call it out. Don't swallow it. That's, that's what I had to do a, lot, a long time ago. Really call it out and find, you know, find those people in your organizations who you can find fellowship with. That's, this is why ERGs is so important. Mm. Because, you know, you may work at a company where you, when you get together, you're like, oh, there's a, there's a decent amount of us. I feel good about this. And it's growing. You know, and that happens. Like Twitter, when I started, it was like maybe three of us in New York and it kept growing and growing and growing. But on a day-to-day basis, we're all spread out across different departments. So we're not really seeing each other on a day-to-day as much as you know, you'd want to see other people that look like you. Mm-hmm. So when you have ERGs, they serve such an important and frankly, underappreciated service to organizations like 
like these ERGs are saving money. Like people are in meetings, you know, comforting each other, helping people navigate career, giving advice, doing a lot of extras that go well beyond their day-to-day role. And you know what that's doing for you as an organization when it's talented people facing frustration? What it's doing is keeping those people in your company so you're not suffering the cost of having to hire someone new and training them and losing all that capability. And I don't know if that always gets appreciated in organizations. So I'm glad those are there. And I want those to continue to be supported by different organizations. But what we also need is we need more allyship. You know, I'll call out some people because they've been wonderful. And I mentioned Dave Gerbitz at Microsoft, but at Twitter, you know, Matt Dorella, my boss, uh, Doug Jossum, uh, was an incredible ally. JP Mayhew was an amazing ally to me at at Microsoft. Uh, Sorry, not at Microsoft, at Twitter. Dave Roeder, just lots of really great people supporting me. And then I had this whole other family outside of my company who were incredibly supportive of my career also. Stephen Kim and, you know, Mark Shoshan and so many. So I've been fortunate in that way that, you know, when things weren't going right inside and you asked me about how I dealt with discrimination, that's a poor question. Mm -hmm. I also had this amazing group of elders. Well, they they get mad at me for saying that. Uh, Amazing group of people who were in the industry before (laughs) me. They still youngins. Who really helped me to navigate some of these these things. And over time, as I I got more senior, allowed me to understand how I I have these conversations with the organization and and hopefully create. Yeah. It's a tough one, man. And, yeah. and not everyone has the agency to be able to do that. And that's why, right. you know, those of us who are now in leadership positions have to speak out. We have to. Have to. so many people who cannot. There's so many people who can't. And I, when I tell my stories, I'm not telling it because like, hey, look, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm in a fortunate position. But I know many people face the same things and can't tell the story. And so I want to tell it to make sure that their stories are being told because I'm, it's, it happens all the time. You know, that's fantastic and tremendous insights. And I have a very similar sort of experience throughout my career. And so that really resonates and, and speaks volumes to me. Yeah. And I know it will with a lot of our listeners. And so thank you for sharing that. And even taking a step further and, and sharing the names and of the people that helped to influence that and mentors, if you will, sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah. Folks that you can rely on there. You know, so that's huge. You know, it's interesting, you know, with your career and and uh now the family and it's difficult, you know, we're in a very unique time working from home, you know, almost 150% of the time, right? I mean, it's just that what's work-life balance for you? Is there such a thing or what's it like? What's it like before that? And what's it like now? Yeah. You know, this is where I suck. I will admit that I'm a workaholic. You know, I, I go hard. I stay up late. I wake up early. I'm up, you know, four thirty, five o'clock every morning and I'm, I'm hopping on and plugging in. I don't recommend it for everyone. I'm not saying it's what is right or what you need to do to be successful. I just haven't figured out how to, to balance it out myself. And I have this thing in me that I want to, you know, they say money is made in the morning. I want to wake up early and get at it before anyone else. It's, it's, that's me. That's my drive. As I've gotten more senior and and as my wife has cracked the whip on me, I have tried to find moments to pull back and to, you know, sort of unplug. And so it's something I continue to work on. So I don't have great advice on work-life balance because I was always just go, 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 go. I can imagine 
one thing I'll say is a benefit. This I'll say, you know, having a new baby and being home all the time, you know, I had the one month of parental leave and, and I was unplugged. But even now, it's awesome being at home for the last few months because, yeah, while I'm still on calls and we're, do- we're all doing eight hours of Zoom calls, you know, in between when I have a 30 minute or a half hour, I could just like, you know, run in and pick up the baby or I can get a feeding in or something like that and still get some quality time. Also, I'm not losing commute time on each end. Mm. So it feels more interconnected in a good way because of that, because I feel like I'm spending more time. When my first son was born and I was working at Microsoft, you know, I, I didn't sort of have a similar amount of time with him earlier on. And so that's one difference I see. And like, huh, there's some benefits here that I can appreciate, especially as a new, as a new dad. But other than that, I'm, I'm still working on the whole work-life balance thing. I'm just a grinder, man. It's just, I have accepted it. I try to change it. Even when I'm like, I'm not working and I go sit down, like my brain is just spinning. I was like, what else can we do? What can we do? What can we do? How can we make this work? So I'm like, might as well just sit down and get in front of the computer and just do it. Just do it. Uh, but that's me. That's individually me. Yeah, I, I hear you there. You know, one thing you, you touched on there was that you don't have the commute time at the beginning of the end. And I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you think the workplace has changed forever? You think like, you know, 100%. going into the office that, you know, that whole notion has changed forever? Because I, I personally think it has, especially, you know, you've got two kids. I've got two kids. Eric's got three. You know, we're all super busy. And I just feel while I do miss the in-person interaction and I do want, you know, a couple days in the office yeah. again, I do feel it's, it's changed forever. I 100 100- and think it's, it's changed forever. And I posted something on LinkedIn because my new leader and founder, Matt Mullenweg, was way ahead of the curve on this. He founded Automatic as a distributed company. And he's been preaching distributed companies since the beginning, since back in 2005. So, you know, he's now just getting the recognition for, for you know, being ahead of the curve. And, you know, I'm in an organization and seeing how I'm actually doing a lot of learning, understanding you know, asynchronous communication and, and how, how you work in, a, in an environment where you are distributed. Mm. But look, if my role, which is the seller role, which is, you know, both quality and effectiveness, but also a big chunk relationship yeah. can function and be successful without face-to-face interaction, then maybe there's something I'm not thinking about. But I think a lot of other roles in our industry can probably be successful. Because our role is the most dependent on face-to-face interaction uh, mm-hmm. as a way to be successful. You know, I, I imagine there's things on the creative side that I'm not as familiar with about getting in a room with a bunch of creatives and, and powwowing. But I, I think the tools we have still allow for that. I'll let a, a true creative director answer that question. But it's changed forever. Even if it goes yeah. back, it will never go back to the same level. To the same way it was. Uh, yeah. Because no one we've all seen the value of working from home. And so maybe it's a couple of days in, as you said, and maybe it's certain events that we still want to gather in fellowship, but I don't see us all going back into the office and, and, and doing it the way it was. I think it's changed permanently. Plus as a huge asset, and I'm seeing this working at automatic is man, does it change the sort of pool for candidates and who you hire. Mm. <laughs> Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. There are so many people now that you could be like, oh, wait, I'm not geographically bound for hiring these heads. 
oh, I'm going to find the dopest people wherever they are. Yeah. Uh, and so everyone now has to level up. Because you can't sit in New York or in LA or San Francisco and feel comfortable like, well, you know, there's only certain people in this market and blah, blah, blah. And so your odds go up of getting a role. Now you're competing globally in some cases. Yeah. So hopefully that does a couple of things. Coming back to one of the questions you said about sort of diversity, hopefully that allows companies to diversify their employee pool because they can now look at different places and hire people who are in different places who may not be willing to leave those places for a particular role. And second, the quality, I think, should also go up. Now now you're truly, you know, sort of looking at a diverse pool and looking at the full capability that's out there when you're making these decisions. So smart companies are going to take advantage of that. And, yep. you know, those who don't, I think are going to get left behind. You know, they're going to miss out. One thing I'll be interested to see how this plays out over a long period of time is if the candidate pool has been extended, right? Because you can hire people anywhere. Do companies still have to pay New York and LA prices for employees still? Yes. So (laughs) I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but like Matt has a very specific philosophy on that and he does pay uh, you know, for the same role and the same job and doing the same work, he very much believes and the company operates on why should we pay someone less if they're doing the same work just because they've made a different geographical choice? I love hearing that. Yeah. I love hearing so, that. Yeah. so that's where he has come from. And, and, uh, hey, that's great. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how I do my job from the, from Jamaica and, and then I'll be good. <laughs> you, you, want, you want that to be real life background. I want, I want that background to be real life. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Uh, when this COVID the, thing ends, man, I'm like, I'm in, in New York once a week and three weeks in Jamaica. <laughs> Listen, uh, where, where there's Wi-Fi, there's a way. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Yep. About one fun question I love asking every guest that we have on is give me the top three apps on your phone that you use, which you can't name your email, calendar, or text messaging. Oh, man. You know, I'm, I'm kind of boring. You know, my, my phone is kind of productivity. So, you know, it's, it's the social apps. They're all there. I'm in the industry. So, you know, they're all there. Tumblr's on there, of course. You know, nice. Twitter, you know, Instagram. I also have, you know, I have a couple of the streaming platforms on there just so in between if I need to, especially when I was traveling a lot, it would be good to mm-hmm. be in the hotel, open up, you know, whatever it's streaming. I'm not going to give them free ads, um, but open <laughs> up whichever one you want. And then actually there's, there's one game that I like. It's just like a, a, a brain teaser game called Kami 2, uh, K-A-M-I. I'll give them a shout out. It's just like solving little puzzles. I like it. It kind of stretches my brain a little bit. But I, that's it. I'm, I'm kind of boring on that stuff. I'm not. I'm not all in on the on the app game. I'm. I'm not quite a millennial. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm imagining there was a little bit of dance hall coming through. The oh yeah. Oh oh. The Spotify. The Spotify is on deck. <laughs> the dance hall is on deck yeah. all the time. All well, the time. Uh, well, listen. Thanks so much for spending time with us and, and the tremendous insights, Cavell. You know, sometimes our audience loves to get in touch and, and how can they find you? What are, the, what are the best ways to reach you? Yeah, you know, I, I'm on LinkedIn. I use it. I check it, you know, uh, I'm probably on a daily basis. So I, I'm, I'm pretty active in there. So, you know, send me a note on LinkedIn. I accept most of the folks who, who reach out to me on there. Awesome. But th- well, this has been great. Thank. I, I mean, I want to say thank you to, to, to both of you, you know, allowing me to share my story. You know, I'm not the only one with it, but... Part of why I was excited about this is 
you know, everyone has a different journey. And, and yeah. for me, it's, I want to share, I've been fortunate. I've had so many amazing people. Uh, you know, you said I called out of people. I could, I could have spent the whole time just calling out the names of folks who have helped me and allies and mentors too many to name, especially, you know, there's a lot of black women in this industry who have helped me and I got to give them a lot of props. People like Sandra Sims, people like Renetta uh, McCann, Tiffany uh, Warren. And, and so I want folks to know that, you know, there's a lot of good people who can help them on this journey, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're a minority in the industry. And also I want them to see that, you know, I don't have a typical background. And you can still find success if you don't have a typical background entering. So I hope that story resonates with some people and can help others who are early in their career see that, you know, you too can, can be successful and, and not be deflated when the tough times do come. Tremendous advice. Yeah. Tremendous advice. And we can't thank you enough for joining us. For all the listeners uh, that joined us today, thank you so much. Find other episodes. Find us where you find all of your audio. Thanks. Thanks, Cavell. All right. Take care, guys.